Good morning. Good to be with all you this morning. Praise the Lord. Giving us another day. At least the first part of one so far. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> we don't know what's coming later, do we? I don't want to uh, assume anything on the Lord. So, If you get your bulletins out, I'd pray, appreciate that. I, sorry I got a little lengthy in my notes here, but uh, I hope that helps you. But if you open up your bulletins, just kind of follow along with me. We'll review the, the uh, welcome to the battlefield was the topic of the sermon last week. It was based on Romans 7.14 through 25. So Romans, Romans 7.14, it says the battlefield defined. It says, uh, 7.14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And you see the notes there, the summary of what we talked about last week. says the, the law is supernatural, it is holy, righteous, and good. The law is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This supernatural law comes to us believers and it does battle with our flesh, with our sinful nature, with the part of us that has not been redeemed. That is the battlefield. I think Galatians 5.17 summarizes it very well. For the desire of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Amen? Is that the battlefield of a believer's life? Yes, it is. Uh, the battlefield illustrated 7.15 through 17. Uh, the text says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. We talked about this for quite a bit last week, but summarizing here, it says, before Christ, we did whatever we desired. That's how we know that Paul is speaking to believers in this text, not unbelievers. And many other proofs that we talked about last week. The point is the law, the word of God, had no bearing on our life before Christ, no influence. It was historical foolishness to us. But what Paul is saying is that after salvation, when we sin, and sin is what we don't want to do, this reveals that we agree with the law, that the law is good. Do you see that? Do you see the difference between those two worlds that hopefully you all live in? You see the word is good, it proves that you're a believer. If you're having that battle within you, don't think that means you're not saved, that means you are saved. You're battling to live the righteous life God called you to. Amen. And I just said here, so when, when we, I'm going to say we, when we sin, it is not the saved, in this case Paul is speaking, but the residual sin of our flesh that still lives within us. The remnant sin that lives within all of us is the battlefield of our life. Uh, the battlefield within us, uh, Romans seven eighteen through 20. Uh, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. See, he qualifies it. He's not saying he's an unbeliever, that he's full of, of uh, an unsaved person. He's saying that he is, has the Holy Spirit living within him, but it is his flesh that he's battling with. Once again, he is a, a follower of Christ. For I have the desire to do what is right. I never had that desire before Christ, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that is what I keep on doing. For I do what I do not want is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Uh, we, are we still with me? 
discuss the battlefield within us. It begins at salvation. We first had to deal with various strongholds of sin. That as we continue to walk with God, the battle becomes more of sins of omission than sins of commission. Amen? You agree with that? We are dealing with the great commission, attitude, self-pity, other sinful patterns in our lives when we can be sure that this is where Paul was struggling. And I, I just, I got to clarify this point one more time. It's just important. Is I, I've told you before, one of the biggest abuses of this text I see is when people desire to live in their sinful life. And they say, look at Paul. And I challenged you last week to look at Paul. Right? See, you know, I talked about this continuum of a saved person. That salvation through, through sanctification is from the beginning to the end until we're glorified. Do we ever arrive at fully sanctified people? No, we don't until we're glorified, until we get home with, into heaven. But see, this battle is in the beginning. Maybe some of you are coming out of some, some uh, sinful patterns in your life that were controlling you. Those are the early parts. And, and all of us believers, especially later in life, Christians came through that. We, we were awakened to the reality of God. We were regenerated, as we heard Wednesday night. We became these new believers. And also we realized the sinfulness of our life, and we began to deal with the, the strongholds in our life. But the point is, as we continue to live the Christian life, that sanctification process continues. And as I said here, do you think Paul was going to the bars? So you think that was Paul's problem? No. Come on, look at Paul's life. The reality is he, he was dealing with the fact that he wasn't always sharing the gospel with the lost. He wasn't always faithful to the Great Commission. I want you to see who Paul... You, and people say, well, you know, what about Paul? Yeah, what about Paul? When's the last time you were stoned for your faith? How many times have you been imprisoned for the gospel? See, that's how we know Paul was at this far extreme of sanctification. That's what he was dealing with. And see, there's, there's still this overwhelming guilt of, of, of sorrow as we don't live the faithful life for God. That doesn't change in a Christian's life. I could call up some people that have been walking with the Lord for very long, and they would tell you they still battle with the things probably more in their minds than with the things they don't do. Okay, so that, I just want to make sure you understand that. Don't ever use this text as an excuse for sinful patterns in your life. Because you're saying Paul was a sinner. That's not it. It, it. He was a sinner, but look at his life. If you want to be like Paul, praise God. Go out and get persecuted for your gospel. For the gospel. Okay. Um, Romans 7, 21 and 22, the battlefield around us. So, so we find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And I, I, I challenge you with this last week. Is I'm, I'm just warning you that whenever you desire to good, do good, evil's right there. And I, and I challenge you, brothers and sisters, I, I'm telling you, if you're committing to get up early and start reading the Word, just count on the evil trying to take you out of that. You're trying to become war prairiers. You want to go out and share the gospel. Anything you want to do for the Lord, I can guarantee you, you are going to run into an evil resistance. That's called spiritual warfare. And that's when you've got to pray and persevere. I, just a, an illustration just came to my mind here. You know, I can tell you this in my own life. There's many weeks where I'm studying the word and preparing for my message, and one of you comes to mind. Now, why do you think that is? Because God wants me to stop and pray for you, obviously. Whenever anybody comes to mind, by the way, that's your call to pray for them. Just so you know that. I mean, that's just an important truth. It's not time for you to start criticizing them or thinking what's wrong with them. It's time for you to pray for them. Even if it's your enemy that comes to mind, it's a call to pray for them.
But here's the thing I want to tell you is I'm praying for you sometimes in my message because I know the Lord has a word for you in that message. And guess who doesn't come that Sunday? It's always the person that God brings to mind that I've been praying for. Isn't that amazing? That's spiritual warfare. So the Sundays you don't feel like going to church, those are probably the most important Sundays for you to be at church. When you don't feel like getting up and doing your devotions and you got all kinds of excuses, probably the most important day for you to get up and do your devotions. So when you see the evil, you see the resistance, be all the stronger and commit that to the Lord. Okay, Romans 7, 23 through 25, the victory in the battlefield. And look where Paul comes after he gets done reciting all these things. He just has to, he has to confess to God, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. I pray you find yourself saying that as well. Wretched woman that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of the death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Okay. So that's summary from last week. Let me just remind you of the five key points that we talked about last week of a mature believer. Can we talk about that just for a minute? Are we okay? Let me read these to you. We got this out of Philippians 3, 12 through 14. It was really the application for the text of how to live the, our call to live the Christian life. A mature follower of Jesus Christ is humble with the deep realization that this is a lifelong battle. See? This battle that lives within us is a lifelong battle. So settle in. You're never going to be completely victorious over the, the, the sinful nature. I, I pray you're on this continuum and you're moving your way closer and closer to the image of Jesus Christ, but you have to settle in because it's a lifelong battle. That's why Paul says it's a marathon. So you have some victory now. Don't rest in that because there's more battles coming. You have to be ready for the next one. You good with that? Now, now let me just tell you, though, the Lord is so gracious. You'll have seasons of peace where He's just pouring His love upon you and, and you're in great fellowship. And then there'll be great times of heartache and battles and struggles and trials. But just persevere through that because then He's such a loving God, He brings you another season of peace. And this is kind of the life journey that a Christian goes through. Amen? Okay, I was hoping I wasn't alone in that. So settle in for the battle. It's a lifelong one until we're glorified. The second uh, aspect of a, a mature Christian he does not measure himself or herself to other people. See, the temptation is, I can always, let me just tell you flat, I can always find someone worse than I am. And, and that's not the deal. The deal is to compare yourself to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did. That's why as he went through his life, he first, remember this, he first set off in his ministry, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Five years later, I'm the least of the saints. About five years later, he said, I'm the worst of sinners. See what he's doing? Do you think he was looking at people? No, he was looking at Jesus Christ. Because if you look at Jesus Christ, believe me, you will be a humbler follower of Jesus Christ. Because you will see how much work there is left to be done. Uh, the third aspect of a humble believer is they always are motivated by the reality of the gospel. You're always motivated by the reality of the gospel. You know, it's one of those things where you get up each day and say, you know what, I deserve death and eternal punishment. I was condemned at birth, I was spiritually dead, but God saved me. May I live a good day today for Him, for the price that He's paid. 
You see, you have to be motivated by the gospel every day. You know, I just, I got to be careful. I'm going to preach the whole sermon again. But the, the, the reality is we're like the Israelites, aren't we? Where they had manna, you know, they got their, they opened their tents. Woohoo! You know, they got out. They, they couldn't believe there was manna out there. What happened after a certain period of time? Manna, right? It's manna again, hon. It's your turn to go get the manna. I'm tired of picking that stuff up. You know, we, we're just like that, are we not? See, we have to remind ourselves daily of the gospel, of the price that was paid for our salvation through Jesus Christ. You've got to get fired up every day with that reality so that you go out that day and live for Jesus. That's a mark of a true believer. I pray you never get tired of the gospel. Uh, number four, a, a mature believer is always conscious of the one thing. You're always focused on the, the fight, the Christian fight the race that we've been called out to live. So, I mean, the point I made last week is it doesn't matter what season of life you're in, it doesn't matter whether you're on vacation, whether you're at home, whether you're retired, whether you're, whatever you're doing, within all aspects of life in every season, the one thing has to be the one thing. The main thing has to be the main thing, and that's living for Jesus Christ. I'm always surprised at where I get opportunities to talk to people about Jesus in, in stores or in gas stations. I mean, I'm amazed where God will reveal a divine appointment. But that's because I'm always praying. And don't, hey, listen, I've failed him more times than I've ever been obedient to him. But I'm just telling you, as I do pray that, I'm amazed at the opportunities he gives you as you keep the one thing, the main thing, the main thing. That's number four. Number five is a mature Christian does not let their past define them. A mature Christian does not let their past define them. I, I, it just breaks my heart as I meet Christians that are so preoccupied with their past that they miss the present. And not only this, as they focus on the past, they miss the present and they have no future. I love our brother Craig coming forward today. He's back on the horse. He's ready to live it for Jesus. He's not going to let his past define him. He's ready to go at it for God. You see? And, and this, this is true for every believer of Jesus Christ. Don't let the past define you. God forgives you, confess, repent, and get on with it. So those are the five points from last week. We ready for the text for today? It's, a, it's incredible uh, truth we're going to get into today. I uh, thank you. How, how many people have their journals with them? Shame on the rest of you. I'm going to give you some Catholic guilt right now. Your journals don't do you any good on your dressers. You have to bring them to church. Please, as Paul says in Romans 12.1, I beseech you, I beg of you to bring your journals to church. <laughs> well, he didn't say the last part, just the beseech you part. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> he didn't say bring your journals, but the beseech you part. And thank you. Some of you came up to me last week and showed me some things you wrote down. It's, it's beautiful. Um, you know, I put these outlines in the bulletins, just a little thing here because some people asked me last week. You take the outlines from the bulletin and just put them right into your journal and just as God speaks to you, write down whatever he lays on your heart. That's how you use a journal. See, Liam says use your journal. All right, if you'd open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we're just going to get through the first four verses today. Romans 8, uh, 1 through 4. And my... Emergency readers here today. Jay, we don't have a microphone, Jay. I'll have to read loud. Thanks, brother. Please stand as we read God's word. 
Thank you, brother. Amen. So, so this morning we're going to talk about no condemnation is the title of our text that I've titled it. Uh, four main points, new position, new power, new plan, new purpose. Now, just so you know that many believe that Romans is the greatest book in the whole Bible. Many theologians and um, pastors of the past have said that. They've not only said that Romans is the greatest book in the Bible, but they say chapter 8 is the greatest chapter of the greatest book in the Bible. So uh, I encourage you to be here the next few weeks as we work through this because you're going to hear some truths that will absolutely set you free. Uh, they're, they're some of the greatest truths that are in the Bible. So uh, get ready. It's, it's really good news. Now, to kind of set the stage here uh, from 40,000 feet, you know, where we've been in this book of Romans is uh, first chapters 1 through the, the most, of part of, uh, most of chapter 3, we saw this reality that we're all condemned. We were all born in condemnation. Amen? Remember, no one is with excuse. We went through Jews, we went through Gentiles, and we got to the point where Paul said, no one is with excuse. We were born spiritually dead, we were born enemies of God, and we were under the condemnation of God. That's how we all came into this world. That's chapters 1 through most of 3, right? Then the, the second main thing we've been talking about from chapter, really the end of 3 through 5, is justification. And we learned that justification, or how is one um, saved, how was someone delivered from this, this uh, condemnation, and really, we talked a lot about what it wasn't and what it was. We talked about we're not justified by keeping the law. You know, it's not by being following all the rules that are recorded within the Scripture. We also learned that we're not justified, we're not saved by being good people through good works, by earning our way to heaven, which a lot of people believe. You know, We can always find someone that's worse than we are, so we think that that means that when we're we come before the throne of God that we're going to be saved and entered into heaven. It says that's not how you get to heaven either. We only get to heaven through grace alone, through faith alone, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's through His sacrifice, His shed blood, and trusting in the finished work on the cross that one is saved. See, for anybody that's here that's a believer, you know in your own hearts there was a point in your life where you realized how sinful you really were and that you were hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. There was nothing you could have done to be saved. And at that point, God came into your life, He revealed this to you, and then you believed it, you confessed that you were a sinner before a holy God, you believed in the finished work of Jesus, and you were born again and entered into the family of God. That is how one is saved. So that was the justification we've been talking about through the faith alone the grace alone of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ. And then where we started in chapter 6 is we've been talking about sanctification. Because see, what happens to all of us, right, is I don't care when you were saved, especially those that were saved later in life, we got saved and we said, now what? Right? Now what? See, because I know I got saved at 32 and all of a sudden it was like, I've been following these lies my whole life. Now, what is life supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? What does life really mean, right? Has anybody else gone through that? Yeah, so, so that's what we've been talking about from chapter 6. What is sanctification? 
what is the process of living this new life that we've been saved into, right? So that's what we've been talking about um, for the last number of weeks since we started chapter 6. And you remember some of the lies that are out there? Some people say, well, we were saved by grace so we can sin all the more, right? Remember that? And I would say to you that that's probably someone that isn't truly saved if they're even thinking that. And the other one was, okay, we were saved by grace so that we can put ourselves back under the law so we can start living by legalism. And that's not the case either. We've been freed up to live under grace. But what does that mean? We've been freed from under the law so that we can put ourselves under another one, which is Jesus Christ. Remember the illustration of marriage? That old, the law, our, our marriage to the law died so that we can be married to Jesus Christ and put ourselves under the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And so here's the deal. Now it's not out of obligation that we serve Jesus Christ. It's out of the desire of our heart that we follow Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the difference. You don't need to get your rule book out and follow a bunch of rules. You, if you're a born-again believer, the Spirit comes into you and you desire to live for Jesus. You want to find out the kind of life He wants you to live. So that's the difference between those. So here's the next logical question. After we saw this big dilemma of doing what we shouldn't do and not doing what we should do, kind of the cry of our hearts would naturally be, how do I live this new life? How, how do I live this new life that God calls me to live? And that's what our text talks about today. New position, new power, new plan, new purpose. All defined in these four verses. You ready? Good? I mean, you stand up and stretch or anything, you're all all right? Cup of coffee, glass of water. Can't have coffee in the church, I forgot. Ralph just read that to us. I want you to hear this is some incredible freeing truths we're going to talk about. First one in, in verse one here. The first thing he tells us about our new position as believers in Jesus that there is therefore no not there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Let me just tell you this: the burden of my heart as I was studying this is that. I don't think many people in the church even today know what it is to be under condemnation. I don't hear the churches teaching that very often today. Do, do you know what it's like to be under the condemnation of God? Do you know what that all entails? Do you know what your future holds? Here, I'm telling you, uh, Tyler's going to start driving, leading some uh, outreach stuff where we're going to start going to the neighborhoods again like we used to a number of years ago. And just meeting people and loving on them for Jesus. We did this years ago. It's, if you've never done that, it's an incredible uh, thing you have to do. We just knock on doors. You get divine appointments. You pray for people. You, you hear the needs of the neighborhood. It's just a wonderful time. We're not out there to make Oasis members. We're out there to share Jesus Christ. See, it's not about our church. It's about Jesus. But it's amazing as we go to these doors and talk to people. But here's the thing I'd tell you. What, when you ask them, as the Lord leads them, you ask them, say, you know, what do you think about this issue of wrath of God and hell and damnation? What do, you, what do you think about those truths? What do you think the answers are going to be for most people you talk to? I'm letting you think about it for a second. The reality, most of the answers are, well, I, yeah, I believe in heaven and I hope I'm getting there. I think I've been good enough. I haven't really done the bad things. See, they, 
They don't understand what the condemnation of God is. Let me tell you, you don't need a Savior if you don't understand the condemnation of God. Amen? And see, a lot of churches won't preach this because what they're most interested in is filling the pews. And see, it's about the breadth of a church, how many members are sitting in the pews versus the depth of a church and how much truth is poured into the body. See, I, I could come up here every Sunday and preach a really nice, encouraging, topical message to you, and this, the, the balcony would be filled, I can guarantee you right now. We'd be jam-packed every Sunday. But it would be heresy to me because it's about the depth of the Word of God. That's why we go verse by verse here. Sweetie, they're downstairs. Sorry, another information. So let me just talk about the condemnation of God for a minute. And it's things we've already studied here. I want you to understand this. We studied this already, Romans 1.18. Look at this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, do, do you believe that the wrath of God is constantly being administered from heaven onto this earth. Yeah, it is. Right now, the wrath of God is constantly being administered onto this earth. Now, how do we see it right now? We see it, one of the ways we see it is through the consequences of our own sin. And let me tell you this, that's a gift from God. Could you imagine what this world would be like if there wasn't consequences for sin? If you could do anything you want and there was no consequences. So one of the ways he ministers wrath, and it's really the grace of God, is through the consequences that we have to deal with. Pain, suffering, loss of job, broken relationships, all those things that come into consequences when we go against the will of God. Another way is God pours out his wrath directly. He's flooded the earth. He has, he has destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He still uses natural disasters to bring the wrath on this earth. You may not believe this, but most of you believe that 9-11, those that follow God, was God allowed that to happen for a reason. It didn't, God didn't just go, oh, sorry I, sorry, I dozed off for a minute there. That happened, and God allowed it to happen. I'm just telling you that the wrath of God is constantly being administered on this earth today. I hope that breeds the fear of God in you. Look, look at these verses from chapter 2. I want to tell you one other thing about condemnation. It says here uh, in verse 5, it says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Stay with me here. Verse 8, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Verse 9, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jews first and also the Greeks. And verse 16, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, you know, what we see here in all these verses, we see two truths. is The wrath of God is constantly being administered from heaven right now. But we also know, what does it say here? The day of wrath, right? The day of wrath is coming. See, brothers and sisters, there's a day coming when, when, when uh, the Great Commission will be done. There will be no more opportunities to witness. There will be no more opportunities to share the gospel because the great day of wrath is coming. And at that point, everyone 
will face the judgment of God. And let me tell you, heaven is real, yes, but so is hell. Now let me just show you a few more supporting verses and I promise to move on to some very encouraging truths. Look what we saw in Romans 5.18. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Let me share this. Is some people believe in the good works-based gospel that if they do enough good things, they're going to get to heaven. But a lot of people that I talked to when we went around the Aurora neighborhoods is they believed in the bad works gospel. It's really the same thing, but what they believe in, as long as they haven't done the really bad things, they're going to heaven. Some people believe that. But see, with this verse that we studied already, what does it say? Through the sin of Adam, we were born under condemnation, right? Because we sinned in Adam, so we're all guilty at birth. So it doesn't matter if you didn't commit murder or not, if that's the one you're holding on to is the one sacred bad thing, and you think, as long as I don't commit murder, I'm going to heaven. That won't work, because it says we're born under condemnation because of the sin we committed in Adam, right? So it's too late for that. You're born in that condition. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Look at this next verse, just a couple more. And just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The only reason I put this verse in here from Hebrews 9.27 is I want you to know that we will all face the judgment of God. Let me give you this, though, encouraging uh, verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is speaking to believers. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This verse is speaking to believers. We will not face the judgment for our sins, because that's already been dealt with through Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? We don't have to pay for our sins. Jesus didn't make a down payment. He paid for them in full on the cross when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. But what this verse is talking about would be similar to the parable of the talents. What did you do with your faith? What did you do with your new life? See, there's rewards in heaven. You ready for this? There's rewards in heaven. And, And not everybody agrees in this, but I truly believe this is related to the responsibilities that will be given to us in heaven. I think that's in that parable as well, is that if you were saved and you buried your faith in the dirt and you didn't do anything with it, it doesn't mean you're not going to get to heaven, but you're not going to get a lot of rewards. I always picture you may be assigned to the stables to clean up after the horses, but you'll get a good job, but it's just that might be your job in heaven. But for those that are faithful there's going to be a greater work for us to do and greater responsibility for those that are more faithful. But we do not face, the most encouraging part of this is we don't face the judgment for our sins. Okay, one more about the condemnation of God. This is what Jesus said. He said, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. His angels. I just put this verse over to show you that those are the ones that don't come under the judgment of Christ. Those are the ones that are sent into hell. Now, these are, do you believe in Jesus Christ? You believe in Jesus? You believe He's your Lord and Savior? He said this. He's the one that talked about hell. He said that it has an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He's the one that says that don't know me, we're going to be cursed and sent there. 
That's what Jesus said. I don't know how many people would show up here, but some Sunday I really want to do a topical sermon on hell. Um, but I won't announce it beforehand. <laughs> but I think it would be good for us to see all the scriptures about hell. But I just want you to get a sense that this condemnation is real. So when we hear a verse like this, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you as a born-again believer should be greatly encouraged to realize you're not going to face that. Okay. All right, next, in the, look at this last part of this verse here. I could preach a whole sermon on this verse. We may end up doing that. We'll just see what happens here. But look at it. It says, in Christ Jesus, um, there's no condemnation for what? For those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit. But just so you know how important it is, this term in Christ Jesus, Paul uses that same term 119 times in his epistles. So he really wants us to get that reality in us that we're in Christ Jesus, those who believe. Now let me just give you, we studied this already, so this should be familiar for you. But this gives us a good summary of how we're in Christ Jesus, Romans 6, 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Do, do you see this? Yeah, we, we were in Christ Jesus in his death. We were in Christ Jesus in a burial. We were in Christ Jesus in his resurrection. We are in Christ Jesus right now where he's in his seat of glory next to the God the Father. We're in Christ Jesus right now. Now let me just tell you, this is, a, this is a hard thing to wrap your mind around because it's a positional truth and there's a practical truth. Okay, this is just a little, hang here for a minute. Positionally, we are all in Christ Jesus that are born again, but practically we're still out here living the life He called us to live. But we're in Him now, but we're practically living out that life of faith right here. Does that make sense? It's a hard one to grab onto. He's not done with us yet. We have to finish the work he called us to. But let me tell you, we're in Christ Jesus and nothing can take us out of Christ Jesus if you're born again believer. Your salvation is sealed and secured forever. And let me tell you one other thing. You, here's something to blow your mind away. You were in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even created, he knew you were going to be saved and he, you were in Christ Jesus all the way before the world was created. So see, You've been sealed and secured by God since before the world was created because you were in Him back then. Wrap your mind around that truth. But that's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. You are in Him then. You were in Him in His death. You were in Him in His burial. You're in Him right now in His ascension as He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Is that pretty cool? That's an incredible truth. That should give you boldness for Jesus. Because it doesn't, that's why Paul says, Jesus even said, he says, so they can kill your body, is that what you're worried about? Don't worry about them killing your body. That's nothing. Worry about who can destroy your soul. If you're in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter what man can do to you, you're forever destined to be with God forever. And as I told you many times in the Oasis, death is a promotion. We get to be done with our part of the mission. We get to go home. Don't ever fear death. All right, in Christ Jesus. 
Okay, it took us a half an hour to do verse 1. Let me go to verse 2. Well, let me say one more thing about verse 1. Yeah, brother, thank you. Um, let me just encourage you with this, that one of the, one of the weapons of the enemy, since this is such an important truth, is he's going to try to convince you that your salvation is not secure. See, when God says there's no condemnation, the devil wants to tell you there is condemnation. See, now, we saw this battle going on within Paul last week. The devil's going to try to use that battle for when we sin. How many of us still sin? Raise your hands. I just want to see if there's any super saints here. Okay, good. So the reality is we're still going to be battling this internal person within us, and the devil's going to take those opportunities to tell you, you're not a believer. You're not one of Christ's own. You're not part of the family of God. See, he's going to try to tell you there is condemnation, and you're the one that's condemned. I'm telling you, don't believe it. And I'll show you some proofs today. They'll show you you're absolutely uh, sealed and secured by God if you're a born-again believer. I'm not trying to give anybody a false gospel. If you're not a believer, you are condemned. If you are a believer, you're not condemned and you never will be. All right? Okay. But I'm just telling you, that's a spiritual point of spiritual warfare in your life. And see, if the devil can think, make you think you're condemned, what does he do? He makes you ineffective and unproductive for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He takes you out of the battlefield because you're so preoccupied with your own sin and your own self that you don't engage in battle. See, the devil hated the moment you got saved. He hates when you get sanctified, and he really hates when you carry out the Great Commission. So if he can enable any of those things, the sanctification, he can't do anything about the salvation. He can try to deter you from being sanctified, and he can try to deter you from, from carrying the Great Commission out. So that's what I'm talking about there. All right, verse 2. Good? All right, verse 2. These all build on that truth. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is your new power. This is your new power. See, you've got a, you've got a new position that you're not condemned and you're in Christ and you have a new power and that is that the Holy Spirit lives within you. This is incredibly good news, is it not? See, what we could not do in our own strength, we can't, we can't live this victorious life in our own strength. I don't care what kind of willpower you have. Craig can't live that kind of life he talked about until the Holy Spirit came within him to give him the power to live the victorious life. Now, look here for a minute. i just show you some encouraging verses about that reality. Uh, Romans 1.3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. You see that again? In Christ. I bolded it for you. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many spiritual blessings? Every. Now, this is speaking about blessings of the Holy Spirit. So, the reality is, when you became a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit came within you and you received every blessing through the Holy Spirit. Every one. Now, what are those? How many of you can now read the Bible and understand it? He gave you the ability to read the Word. He enlightens the Word and guides you through it. He convicts you when you sin. He reminds you of the truth when you're going through trials. Here's something else that happened to you. Jim talks about this on Wednesday. He did some time ago. We also received the blessing of getting a spiritual gift. 
you've been given the ability through the Holy Spirit to pray to God 24-7. His line is always open. You have now have full access to God. You don't have to go through a priest anymore. You never did, except in the Old Testament with the Jews. What we never did as Gentiles. So you have full access to God. That's one of the spiritual blessings you received. You've been allowed by God as a blessing to belong to a local body of believers. There's a supernatural, this is a supernatural, that's the building. Then I'm talking about believers, not just here, I'm talking about believers in the whole world. We've been united together by the power of the Holy Spirit. All these things happen at the moment you were saved. And let me tell you, this, all the, every spiritual blessing that's been given to us, all the physical blessings that you may or may not have pale compared to the reality of the spiritual blessings you've been given. So that happened the moment you believed. That's the power that you receive as a believer. Is anybody else fired up about that? Can you believe the amount of power that lives within you? Don't believe the evil one. He's the prince of this world. You have all the same power every believer has. Uh, Verse 111 out of Ephesians. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does this tell us? Here's here's something else that happened in your moment of salvation is you've been guaranteed an inheritance in heaven with God for eternity. Do you picture this? I mean, an earthly inheritance? You know, you go to someone, maybe you have a relative, and all of a sudden, hey, you got a note in the mail, you come to the reading of the will. I mean, that could be great, but how long does that last? Whatever you receive will only last at the most your lifetime. I'm talking about an eternal inheritance forever and ever in heaven. That's what we receive. Uh, third one, last one here. Having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Ephesians 1.14, brother. Yes, Ephesians 1.14. You know, in, in, the, in the days, the Old Testament day, the New Testament days, you know, when they would send a letter or not to maybe a scroll, they would take hot wax and pour it over the seal and they would take the ring and that ring would seal that to indicate who was sending that letter or that document. So when you got a document, you would see this seal and say, oh, this is from the government, or this is from the military, or this is from the king. See, this word sealed here is talking about that you've been sealed, you've been marked by God through the Holy Spirit as Christ's own. That's the seal you have on you. And guess what? Here's the deal. You can never lose your salvation because of of that reality that you've been sealed by God by the Holy Spirit. You know, I love all those jokes when people get to the pearly gates and they're asked all these questions by, why is it always Peter, by the way, that asks these questions? I don't know. But here's the reality is, you won't be asked any questions because you're going to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. There's not going to be any people trying to sneak in. You see that? They will know who is Christ's own. That's why the seed of judgment, you don't hear anybody asking questions. He's parting the people between the sheep and the goats because he knows who has been sealed by God as the Holy Spirit. So 
Do you see the power that lives within every believer? You guys getting worn out? You okay? Got two more verses. Come on. Verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. So I'm I'm calling this the new plan. It wasn't a new plan of God but it was a new plan for mankind when Jesus came to the earth. And see, the the reality is, is that The reason we're not under condemnation is because the condemnation of our sins was taken upon Jesus Christ on the cross. So that condemnation was fully paid for. It wasn't disregarded. It wasn't forgotten. It was paid in full through the blood of Jesus on the cross. And that's what he's saying here. You couldn't, what he's saying is, for, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. See, when the law came to us as unbelievers, it, it, didn't, it did, had no power to overcome the sinful nature that lived within us. It only had the power to reveal how sinful we really were, but it couldn't change us. It couldn't save us. It couldn't take away that condemnation. It could only reveal it to us. Are you with me? But it says here, what the law could not do in the weakened flesh, God did by sending his own son. By the way, that word own reveals a deep, intimate relationship. That's why it's in there, that own son. He could have said his son. There's a lot of Greek words he could have used, but he uses this word here, his own son, his intimate, his intimate relationship with his son. He sent his own son to die for us. He didn't send Michael the archangel. He didn't send an army of angels. He sent his own son. You see that? Hope that breaks your heart. He sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh. Catch this. Likeness of sinful flesh means that if you and I met Jesus, if we walked the earth when he did, if you met him, you would think he was just a man. Because his flesh was as real as your flesh. He was fully man. But it was likeness in sinful flesh and that he was sinless in his man body. You see that? Just like the first Adam was made sinless, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came in in the form of a man in the likeness of sinful flesh, but there was no sin in him. And the reason he was fully man is otherwise his sacrifice would not have covered our own condemnation. And if he was sinful, his sacrifice would not cover our condemnation. I know that's complicated, but he had to be fully man and he was sinless. And that's why it was a justified sacrifice for your sin. Good with that? All right. And that's how we were saved. Okay, the fourth and last truth here in the text is verse 4. It says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is your new purpose. You see, you, you have a new position that you're in Christ. You're not under condemnation. You have a new power that the Holy Spirit lives within you. This new plan came to be through Jesus Christ, and now you have a new purpose. And what is it? It's to fulfill the righteousness of God. According to the flesh? No, according to the Spirit. I'm going to use 
scripture as an illustration here to help you understand this, I hope, I pray. I'm going to use 1 John 1, 5 through 7. I want you to understand this truth. But let me set it up here. Is that, hear this please. So you're, so you're a born again believer and you found this truth out and you had this internal battle and you want to live this new life for God, Right? And so you realize that the Holy Spirit's come to live within you. If you're a born-again believer, you know that Spirit is inside of you. And you're desiring to live the righteous life for God. And maybe you've set a lot of plans and a lot of you know, things you're going to do and all these things you're trying to build this life around rules and regulations and your self-will, and you haven't been able to. But here, here's the way to do it. I'm going to show you this. This is what he's talking about here. Is now you can live the righteous life of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here, look at this text, and we'll use it. We're going to close with this. So it says here in 1 John 1, 5 through 7, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the first truth here is that if you're a born-again believer, there was a day you were in the darkness and God delivered you out of the darkness and into the light. He took you out of the, the deception of the world and brought you into the truth of God. He brought you out of the, the, the dungeons of Satan into the hall rooms of the throne of God. Are you with me on this? That happened to every born-again believer. You were brought out of that darkness and into the light. Because with God, there is no darkness at all. That's what you were delivered from and into. Every believer is. Now, let me just tell you, you can't live in two worlds at the same time. You, you can't live in two worlds at the same time. So, let me tell you that if, if, if you're sitting here, what he's talking about here is that if if you have some sinful patterns in your life or some sin that's unconfessed, you're covered in darkness. You have to confess and repent to walk clearly and cleanly before God. You know, and what he's talking about here is you can't have fellowship. See, a lot of Christians have sin, secret sins in their life or unconfessed sins in their life. They come to church on Sunday. They're not enjoying the fellowship of God. They're disconnected from the body. You may think you're worshiping God, but you're really preoccupied with your own sin and you're covered in darkness. Are you with me on this? It's important truth. I'll give you an illustration of my own life. If this rarely happens, qualify this, but if I get in a fight with Mary, which is sin, and it's happened to me, and I go on and try to live my day that day, guess what? I'm covered in darkness. I can't think right, I can't work right, I can't witness for God because I'm covered in this unconfessed sin of darkness. Are you with me on this? See, and, and then what's happened to me is I, I'll start crying now. It's a reality, but I, then I call Mary. <laughs> Doesn't happen too often, does it? She says no. But I'll call Mary and I'll confess my sin to her on the phone. And as soon as I confess and ask for her forgiveness, and I can, by the way, you've got to use the right words here, I don't say, Mary, I'm sorry I was in a bad mood and, you know, you didn't make me breakfast and, you know, and I don't go through this list. I say, Mary, I'm sorry I sinned against you. Would you forgive me? Because there's no, re I can't, there's no, is there any justification for my sin or your sin? No, there's no justification. So I got to tell her that I sinned against her. Would she forgive me? 
She's always said yes so far. And I hang up, and guess what happens? I'm back fully engaged. I'm back in the battlefield. Until that happens, I'm not engaged. And that's what this text is talking about. That's the power you have as a believer. You don't have to carry your sins anymore. And the devil, here's the thing. I, hear me, brother. Says, I bet you a lot of you have these little secret things going on that you think nobody knows about. It, it, it's killing you. When you come to church, you're not even in the fellowship of the body. You've got to bring them into the light. You've got to confess and repent to be reengaged in the body. And look at the process here in the text. What happens first is, see, we come to church and we lie to each other, right? Say Mary and I had a fight and I didn't confess. And I came, oh, good morning, God bless you. Welcome to the Oasis, right? I'm, I can fool you, right? I can pretend like I'm some warm, loved, innocent pastor without any sin in my life. But down deep, I'm covered in this. Here's the next thing. So the first thing, we lie to each other. And the next thing we do is we lie to ourselves. That's what it says here in the text, if you, if you, if you dissect it. So then we lie to ourselves. And then here's the worst thing. See, what, when I say I lie to myself, it means I begin to believe I'm justified in this sinful pattern. I deserve this. You know, I work hard every week, and then I have to come here and preach to all of you. I deserve this little break that I'm taking and what I'm doing. You hear me? I'm not telling the truth, John. That's an illustration. <laughs> You're looking at me scared there. No. So I'm just saying that, you know, I can, you know how your mind works. Your mind can start justifying these things, and all of a sudden you justify, I deserve whatever this sin is, right? So we lie to ourselves, and here's the worst part. Then we lie to God. See, we tell God, you know, God, this isn't that bad. You've got to let me have this. Look at all the other things I'm doing. You've got to let me have this little sin that i got going on. Anybody else relate to this? Isn't that the life of a believer? That's how he sets us up, the evil one? Don't, you've got you to examine yourselves. You've got to make sure. That's the power. And listen to this. This is the power and the freedom of the, what we're talking about here. So that you have this new power in you. You can confess and repent and live. I'm telling you, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It says here, we, we have an amazing bondage and love fest that we can have in the body of believers if we all stay clean. So before you walk in those doors, as Jesus said, don't come in here with your unconfessed sin. Run back, confess it, and then come back to worship God because that's the only way we can really worship in true unity in the body of believers. Isn't that great? But here's it. You can confess anytime you want. Confess to God and repent. Be clean. Okay. So what is it? New position? With me here? One last reminder. New position. If you're a believer, you're in Christ and there is no condemnation. New power, the Holy Spirit of God himself lives within you and gave you all those spiritual blessings, every single one. Three, the new plan is that the only way anybody could be saved, if you're, if you're believing in work salvation, or if you believe you're not bad as others, it's not going to work. The only way to get saved is through the work of Jesus Christ. And the, and the fourth one is there's a new purpose in your life. He didn't give you the Holy Spirit so that you can continue to live the life you used to. He gave you the Spirit so you can live a righteous life. He desires it. It's the good life. And He gave you all the power to be free to live that life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're, boy, what an amazing gift you've given us. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you. We thank you for the work you did on the cross for us. We thank you that we are in you right now. Everyone in here that's a born-again believer is in you, Jesus. Thank you for that truth. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've filled us with the Holy Spirit and given us the power to live this new life. And I pray for every one of these dear brothers and sisters that they will experience this freedom, that they will walk in the light as you are in the light so that we can have fellowship with one another. And Lord, I do pray as I do every week that if there's someone here that has not surrendered the life and they're feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit, help them to confess and repent and turn to you. And for Jesus' sake and in his name, amen.